worth listening to. So go ahead and set that up. We'll get to that in just a minute. It is great to be here back in Texas. Do you not like Texas? Yeah. Yeah. Man, I spent six, six years, six great years in Texas. Two of my three kids were born in Texas at Baylor Medical Center up in Dallas. And so they call themselves Texans, although we are now in Arkansas. Yay! Not so much cheering when it comes to Arkansas. Yeah. Anybody, anybody ever been to Arkansas? Do I have anybody? Okay, so we have a few of you that have been to Arkansas. But you're back in Texas, of course. You don't want to stay in Arkansas. Yeah, so uh, I love Texas because it's the home of the Cowboys. All right? It's the home of Tex-Mex, which I love Tex-Mex. I love tortilla factories. Uh, they have a thing in Arkansas called Arc-Mex. It hasn't really caught on, but apparently they have queso there. I love Freebirds. Did anybody like Freebirds? The burrito place, Freebirds? Yeah. And I always love coming in and getting a Whataburger. So I'm going to... But I got I to gotta tell you, I'm a little worried about Whataburger's, Whataburger's future here because now they got In-N-Out. Anybody a fan of In-N-Out? Double-double animal style. Anybody? It's awesome. You, oh, you got to. And then I saw that there's a Freddy's. Yes. Yeah, I like, I like Freddy's. I'm, I'm a big fan. Big fan of Freddy's. It's awesome. And... One other thing that I love is Pine Cove. Has anybody been to Pine Cove? Okay, so we got a lot of you. Been. If you have not been to Pine Cove, it's a great camp. You ought to go sometime. But just to give you a little picture of what Pine Cove is like, when you drive in uh, in the middle of summer when it's about 185 degrees and you're driving in and everybody's car is decorated and all the counselors jump up and down around you and they're sweating profusely and cheering. It's just a great time. And all the dads, when we drive into family camp, we get an ice-cold IBC root beer, which is awesome. But then whenever somebody comes up to stage doing announcements or anything like that. Oh, you've been to Pine Cove. And generally when a counselor gets on stage, somebody shouts out, who are you? Does anybody do that? Or they do that at family camp. There we go. So they do, who are you? I'll get to that. I'll get to that. So when they say, who are you? The counselor will yell back their name. Now, they wouldn't name... They wouldn't go with Brian or Tim because those are lame names. They would come back with a made-up name that they have called like Hunka or Whistletoe or Shock and Awe. That was one of my favorites one year. Or Broflex, which I love the name Broflex. That was an awesome name. And so the reason why they do that is because they, right before camp starts, they have all the counselors in a room like this and, all, all the, and, and anybody who's new to coming on board on Pine Cove, they have to get up on stage and tell their most embarrassing story or their hobbies or what they love, and they get to ask questions, and then they name them, and they name them. And so the point of having a new name is that when I, get, when I come into camp, and let's say you're Broflex, because you kind of look like a Broflex, and so I would want to know what's the story behind Broflex, because you're not hunka. This guy's hunka, clearly, right here. So... Because the point is, is that you're more than just your name, that you have a story. There's something behind you. You are more than just your name. And you, and you come up with these counselors and you want to find out what's your story, what's behind you. And so for me, you know, I was really glad the introduction that Tim gave. I don't deserve any of it because everybody looks good from a distance. And Tim listed a bunch of names after, a bunch of things after my name, like author and pastor and all that stuff. None of that stuff matters because if you get real close to me, you'll see that I'm just as messed up as anybody else. I, as a dad of three kids, I have what I institute, maybe your dads do, no wine zones. Does anybody have a no wine zone or your dads or your dads or moms are like, listen, there's no whining at our house. I hate whining. It's just like, it's, a, it's, it's like that sound that that turtle was, or that frog was making that was on that sound. It's just, I can't stand whining. And my, my six-year-old, he was whining one night about something. I don't even know what it was. I think it was, uh, it was brushing his teeth or something. And I remember running up to him and just looking at him. He's whining like crazy. And I just got it right in front of his face. And I went, are you six or are you four? <laughs> and my son, have, have, your, have your dad's done anything to where it's like, you're like, I'm really, this guy's the Hulk now. You ever had that? Okay. That was, that was my Hulk moment. And and, and what happens after that is that my wife will come up to me. My wife, Jen, she's an awesome lady, but she'll come up to me and she goes, so you, you actually speak from God's word. 
And she really humbles me in that moment because I realize that from a distance I might look good, but inside I get short with my kids. Um, I struggle with things that you struggle with. I'm insecure. I'm messed up. I might be dressed up on the outside, but I'm messed up on the inside. Can anybody relate with that? Do you feel that? Do we have anybody? Okay, just three of you. Good. I can relate with some of you. So if someone were, I was at Pine Cove and they were to shout out, I've not been named at Pine Cove, but if I were to be named and they would shout out, who are you? I might say something like Tobacco Road. They could call me Tobacco Road because I come from an area of the country called Tobacco Road, which is in North Carolina. Anybody ever been to North Carolina? And, I'm, and I know you're a big fan of rivalries out there. I think I got a picture of it. In North Carolina, there are four schools. College basketball is king out there. We don't really play football, but college basketball is king. And four schools are separated by about 40 miles. You got North Carolina State Wolfpack and, and Wake Forest Demon Deacons. Nobody cares about them. But about nine miles separate Duke and North Carolina. And depending upon what shade of blue you wear will determine whether or not we can be friends tonight. And so I'm a huge Carolina fan. Now, I know down here in Texas you got some rivalries. I, I know there's some horned frogs in here. I'm, I'm guessing there's some longhorns. Are there any longhorns in the house? Are there any, are there any Baylor bears in the house? Okay. Is there any other school in Texas? Okay. What's the C for? I see a C. What's that for? Huh? Oh, UMBC? That's UHMB. Yeah. It's too long. Just do the C. Sick and Bears. Okay. Are there Aggies in the house? It's good to know, it's good to know there are Aggies in the house. I'll talk slower. We can keep up. Okay. You could call me, uh, you could call me NASCAR Willie because I grew, I was living in Charlotte for a long time. Anybody a NASCAR fan? Okay. Three of you. Um, That's great. NASCAR, of course, it's about the, it's about the race cars that go around in circles. They just make a lot of left-hand turns. And so... The thing about NASCAR, anybody know what NASCAR stands for? Non-athletic sport created around rednecks. That's what, that's what NASCAR stands for. And I know that you Aggie fans think, shh. I know you Aggie fans think that you're really crazy and nuts, but NASCAR takes it to a new level. This is a picture of an actual fan at a NASCAR event. I think we got it right up here on the screen. That, that is not a sweater. That is not a sweater. Okay. That's his real, and, and that guy's going to be in your pool tomorrow if you guys have a pool party. I just really admire the lady standing beside him. That She's sitting beside him, and she's like, this is my man regardless. That's his back hair. He's a Wookiee. That's right. He looks like a Wookiee. So here's the thing. Here's the thing about moving. Shh. I thought that NASCAR fans were redneck, and then I moved to Arkansas. Arkansas, they take it to a new level, and uh, I... How many of you like to water ski? Anybody like to water ski? Anybody done water skiing? So in Arkansas, Arkansas, they water ski a little bit differently. We got a video of some water skiers out there in Arkansas. Watch this. Yep. Hold it. There we go. Yeah. That's awesome. How many of you would do that? Anybody? Somebody? Okay. All right. All right, so today, tonight, what we want to talk about a little bit tonight is that, you know, we're talking about this idea, this question of who are you, that you uh, have a story, that I have a story, and that God wants to intersect with your story. And I'm going to be hitting on Hebrews 11 and 12 actually tomorrow. Uh, Tonight, I wanted to talk a little bit more just about that question of follower. It's all about the theme tonight is all about being a follower, and part of who we are is about being a follower of Christ, and that's part, hopefully part of our story. And um, as we're going to look at what, it t- what does it look like when Jesus says, follow me, follow me. He says that a lot in scripture. He says a lot to people. And it's, a, it's interesting. It's a phrase that we say a lot today, right? You see, follow me in social media. You see, you want, you want people to follow you, so you follow them. And there's this, all, this, all this conversation about following you on Instagram, on Snapchat, and we're trying to get more people to follow us and to like what we do and, and all that kind of stuff. I'm not sure that Jesus would have done real well with social media. 
I think he started off strong. Like if you look at the first part of the Gospels, you see that he has a ton of people following Jesus and liking Jesus. They would have started a lot. They would have put a lot of emojis around all the messages that he was doing and all the miracles that he was doing. And, and, and they would have been excited about following Jesus. But if you go through the Gospels, you'll notice that people start following, falling off. That it goes from the multitudes to the 70 to the 12 to the, night, to the night that he's dying on the cross, even those that were around him started peeling off till there was three, till eventually there was none. And who's, people that started strong when following Christ all stopped and, started, and stopped following him. And, and I, when I think they, they kind of unfollowed, and I wonder why, I think one of the reasons why I think they started unfollowing Christ was that when you look at the, what we talk about with follow today versus what Jesus was talking about it back then, when, when you're asking someone to follow you on social media, let me ask you this. Is it a high commitment for them to do that or a low commitment in their life? Well, low. Why is it a low commitment in their life? What's that? It does nothing for you. Why else is it a low commitment? Does it require much of you? Yeah, I see that, Ann. Yeah, all you have to do is just kind of, it's like, okay, I've clicked it. I'm done. Now I, I might follow you. I might look at I might notice you but it's a real low commitment value. And when Jesus is saying to follow you, like when, when, if you were to ask me, like if I were to start following you on, on Instagram, if I, were to, if I were to follow you, it really doesn't require any change in my life. I don't have to change a thing about my life. I don't have to alter anything. I can just click, I'm following you, great. I do nothing. That's not what Jesus meant when he said, follow me. Your whole life could change. And I think that's why so many people started clicking unfollow, defriend Jesus. Because the reason why I think they quit Jesus is because he told them to quit a few things. And tonight what I want to talk about, uh, tonight I'm going to talk a little bit about when you, call, when you are called to follow Christ, he's going to call you to quit a few things. He's going to call you to be a quitter, which we tend to think of, I don't, I don't want to be a quitter. No, when, when Jesus calls you to quit, it's a good thing. And then tomorrow morning, I'm going to talk to both the middle schoolers and the high schools about the few th- high schoolers about the few things that he's calling us never to quit. So tonight, I want to talk, talk a little bit about how every follower is a quitter. Every follower of Jesus is a quitter. When Jesus says, follow me, we must quit thinking we're in charge. We must quit thinking we're in charge. If you're taking notes tonight, that's the first point. I think, we got a, I think we've got a slide for that. When Jesus says, follow me, we must quit thinking we're in charge. Mark chapter 1. If you got your Bibles, you got it on your phones or whatever. I know this is like a, a high-impact night, so probably none of you had your Bibles out there on the, uh, the jump things, on the inflatables. If you did, they're probably trashed. Mark chapter 1 in verse 16. Jesus is calling the first disciples. And he says this, Passing alongside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. So they're out doing their job. Uh, they're working hard, bringing home the bacon, or actually the fish. Thank you. I appreciate that. I'll be here all night. And Jesus said to them, Jesus said to them, Follow me, and I will be, make you become fishers of men. Follow me. He's asking them to follow him, but he's asking them to change everything about their life. That when they follow Christ, it means they drop their nets, they leave their profession, and now they're going on a three-year walk with Jesus. That's a long hike. And they're called to go and follow Jesus. So he's changing everything about them. In verse 18, it says, and immediately they left their nets and followed him. That's something about, and we know that Jesus probably lived in that area for about six months, maybe up to a year, so he had been around them. So I think he, they knew a little bit about what his mission was. He was probably teaching in the synagogues. They liked him, but more than that, they felt like his mission was something they wanted to align with, they wanted to do. So when he said, follow me, they recognized this means a total change of my life. They had to quit thinking they were in charge of their life and follow Jesus. In fact, back then in that time, when you had disciples, this was a regular practice, you'd have these teachers all throughout the Middle East that would be walking, and you could tell who the disciples were of that person, who the followers were of that person, by whether or not they would get, the kind of the phrase was, are you capturing the dust of your teacher's feet on your sandals? That you're following that close behind that person to get the dust of how they're walking onto your sandals. And so the idea was that, hey, I'm going to quit thinking I'm in charge, and I'm going to believe that Jesus is in charge. You guys might have heard the, the story about the, the ship that was out in the sea one night, 
And it was going towards, it was, it was a foggy night. They couldn't really see what's ahead. All they saw was a light that was out in front of them, another ship that was out in front of them. And the captain of the ship, he, uh, he, he basically sounded his foghorn, and then he, got in the, and he noticed that, that ship wasn't moving, so he figured that ship didn't see him. And so he realized that that bright light was straight ahead of him, and he's, on, he's in a big battleship. And so eventually he's like, we're going to crash against each other if, if this guy doesn't notice me. And so the captain gets on the radio and he says, this is Captain Jeremiah Smith. Please alter your course 10 degrees south over. To the captain's amazement, the foggy image did not move. The light stayed right there. Instead, he heard back on the radio, Captain Smith, this is Private Thomas Johnson. Please alter your course 10 degrees north. Over. So this is a private talking to a captain. That's not something you would tend to do to to disobey a direct order. Appalled at the audacity of the message, the captain shouted back over his radio, Private Johnson, this is Captain Smith, and I ordered you to immediately change course 10 degrees south. The light didn't move. A second time. The, the private responded, with all due respect, Captain Smith, I order you to alter, alter your course immediately 10 degrees north. Well, now we're in a, you know, this is, this is a head-on collision. This is who's going to blink first. Angered and frustrated that this sailor would endanger the lives of his men and his crew, the captain growled back over the radio, Private Johnson, I can have you court-martialed for this. For the last time, I command you on the authority of the United States government to alter your course 10 degrees to the south. I am a battleship. The private's final transmission was chilling. Captain Smith, sir, once again, with all due respect, I command you to alter your course 10 degrees to the north. I am a lighthouse. (laughs) True story. So what's happening there is that this captain who has a battleship, who, who has all this power, is recognizing that he can't compete with land. He can't compete with a lighthouse. The same thing is true of Jesus. Jesus is God in the flesh, when he commands us to move, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter how much, uh, if you're the star on your team at your high school, it doesn't matter if you got straight A's. It doesn't matter if you're, you're the one that looks all good on the outside. If God is calling you to do something, if he's commanding you to do something, you're not in charge. And so when Jesus says, follow me, he's calling us to quit thinking that we're in charge. And there's going to be times in life where God calls us to quit our natural course of action, to quit worrying about what people think when we befriend the unpopular kids, or we quit social media for a time to focus on God, or we quit the spring break trip in order to go work at a soup kitchen for one week, or in some, case, in some cases we quit the things that we've always done and hanging out with those people that we've always hung out, hung out with. How many of you, anybody here um, 16, 17 years old? Let me see the 16, 17-year-olds. Okay, so you'll relate with this. This gal's name is Katie. When she was your age, she decided that she wanted, when she was going to graduate from high school, she was going to leave, and before go off to college, she was going to take a year and go to Africa and serve. Uh, when she graduated, she was a senior class president. She was the homecoming queen. I think I've got a picture of her right there. She was living in Nashville, Tennessee. She's the one in the center there with the uh, big tiara on her head. And she decided that God called her to quit her old way of life for a new way of life. And back at 18, she said this. She said, I quit my life. I quit college. I quit cute designer clothes and my little yellow convertible. I quit my boyfriend. I no longer have all the things the world says are important. What she did was she went to Africa and she stayed. Not only did she stay, but she saw all these kids that were, uh, that were orphaned, that didn't have a mom didn't have a dad that were abused. And so even at the tender age of 19 and 20, she started adopting these kids until she adopted 13. It's been 10 years. She's 28 years old. She is now a mother of 13 adopted girls. She is married. She has one new baby boy, and she's the founder and director of um, Amazema Ministries, an outreach that reaches hundreds of children in Uganda. She's the author of a book, Kisses from Katie. If you have not read it, I highly recommend it. Um, And it all started with her saying, I quit what normal people do so that I could follow Jesus. I'm quitting what everyone said. And even her parents were going, hey, but you're still, after that year, you're coming back and going to college, right? Can you imagine the pressure? Imagine the pressure of of your parents who were going, hey, I I, I get your mission trip, but but this is a little too much. Or your friends that are going, really, you're going to forego all that and stay in, in Uganda? She stayed. 
Katie has always liked helping people. She was the kind of teenager who loved to spend her free time helping local homeless shelters and getting her friends to help too. And, uh, and, and what her parents said, she said this about her parents, as most parents do, both my mom and dad wanted me to do everything they could to guarantee me a successful, comfortable life. And they felt the best way to secure a good future for me was to provide me with a college education that would prepare me for a career. But Jesus said, follow me. And so she quit. She quit what was, what was the normal way of life. It's been 10 years. She wrote in her blog recently. It's been 10 years since my feet first stepped out into this red dirt to call this place home. A decade. Something about that word makes it sound like a very long time. Sometimes it feels like a long time, but sometimes it feels like only a blink. I didn't know it then. The truth that sinks deep into my bones now, it's not our productiveness for God that counts. It's our worship. It's our time at his feet. It isn't the public life, the accolades and the well-dones or the applause of the world that matters because she's getting a lot of that now. It's our silent, continuous reach for him in the places where no one is watching. It isn't our world changing that makes any difference. It's the way that we let him change and shape our hearts to reflect him. Ten years in Uganda, pretty much my entire adult life, I drive much better on the left side of the road than I do the right. And I can't parallel park anything other than a 14-passenger van. I take my shoes off before entering a home, regardless of whether the, the host cares, and I find the floor a more comfortable seat than furniture. This place has brought me my husband and my babies, my dearest friends, my best days and my worst days. This place has held my greatest trials and my biggest celebrations. This place has become home, but something so much more extraordinary has happened. I have found my home in him. Jesus longs for us to find our home in him. And when he says follow him, often it will call us to quit when we would think is normal. Now, listen, I do not want calls from your parents. And if you go home and go, hey, guess what I'm going to do instead of college? That's not, that's not what this message is about. I, I don't need that. Tim doesn't need that. I'll never be asked back again. But listen, some of you may not be called to quit this country, but some of you may be called uh, to quit things the world holds dear, like success or money or accolades or reputation or accomplishments. You know, I think you're going to do one of two things with your life. This is the Bible. And you're either going to choose to live your life over the Bible's authority or under the Bible's authority. You're going to choose to believe that either you're in charge and you can apply what you want to apply, that this is kind of a perforated text that you could rip out whatever you don't like, or you're going to say, no, I'm going to quit thinking I'm in charge and believe that if God calls me to do something, if God's leading me to do something, if he's asking me to, to quit something, I'm going to go because he has my best interest in mind. He may not call you to another country, but he's calling you to stand up for kids across the cafeteria that are getting put down left and right or to give part of your hard-earned money uh, to help an orphan or to go on a mission trip or to whatever it might be. God's calling you to quit what seems normal and acceptable in our world. When we follow Jesus, we're called to be quitters, to quit believing we're in charge. But not only that, when Jesus says, follow me, we must quit comparing ourselves to everyone else. That's the second, second thing that, he, that he's calling us to quit. In Mark chapter 19, or not, not 19, there's not 19 chapters in Mark. What am I doing? Mark chapter 9, the disciples are, are together, and uh, they're talking to Jesus, and and uh, they come to the city, and when they were in the house, he asked them, hey, what were you guys talking about on the way? Like they were, they were on a three-year hike with Jesus, so they had a lot of conversations. And one of the times the disciples were talking, Jesus goes, what were you guys talking about? Now he knew. It's kind of like when you're up in a room and you're watching something that you know you're not supposed to be watching, and when do your parents typically come in? It's right on that scene. It's right on when that cuss word comes out. It's right on that bedroom scene. It's whenever they, that's when they come up and you turn off that TV as quickly as possible. What's their question? What were you watching? Now they know. They know. They're not dumb. Or when they, they grab your cell phone from you and they're like, oh, what were we looking at? Oh, it's nothing. It's nothing. They know. Jesus knew what they were talking about. And what he says was, but they kept silent, okay, because they're embarrassed for what they were talking about. For on the way, they had argued with one another about who was the greatest. That's like they were, Peter and John were just sitting around going, hey, who do you think think is going to really earn Jesus' love? Or who's going to be able to rule with Jesus later on when he comes to his kingdom? And I think it's going to be, I don't think it's going to be, I don't think it's going to be Bartholomew. I mean, no one can even pronounce his name. He's never even mentioned hardly in scripture. That guy's nothing. He's not going to go anywhere in life. They're like, no, I think it's going to be me. I think it's going to be me. And 
as he sat down and called the twelve, he said to them, if anyone would be first, he must be last of all and a servant of all. You know, I think too often we tend to think of life as um, kind of like climbing a ladder. And as we get higher up the ladder, is this safe? Two things tend to happen. We tend to look up and we, we compare ourselves with people that are above us, that we think are above, above us, but we also start looking down and go, at least I'm not like them. At least I'm not like them. And these disciples were comparing themselves. They were looking down at some of the disciples going, yeah, at least I'm not Bart, man. He's terrible. You know, he's got nothing. He, 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 didn't, he doesn't help at all. He doesn't clean up after himself. He, he burps a lot. I mean, you know, he's just rude. And then they're looking up and going, but I'm not Simon Peter either. I'm not the one that said you were the Christ. I didn't say that. So there's this constant comparison of people up the ladder and people below the ladder. And what Jesus does is he stops that right away and goes, listen, man, this, this isn't working. You've got to quit this comparison thing. Comparison is going to kill your joy. And if you're constantly trying to impress impressive people, what's going to happen is you will always feel the need to prove yourself. If you're constantly going, man, I, I would really like to be with the people up, up the ladder. I'd really like to impress those guys on the team. I'd really like to get on the starting squad. I'll do whatever it takes to get there. I really would like to be in that crew of people. What do I need to do to get there? And so I'm trying to impress impressive people. And, and, and what happens is we get exhausted because we're trying to measure ourselves against people that we want to be like. And so we keep working hard to get as many good grades or how good we are in church or who we're dating, who we're not going to date or what school we get in or how much money our family has. And, and there's this sense where I've got to continually prove myself to everybody else. It doesn't matter even how much success I get. There's always still somebody else up here that I really want to get over. How many of you know the name Steve Smith? Anybody watch football? Steve Smith, he was a Hall of Famer, played for Carolina, played for the Ravens. Okay, sorry about that. That's the guy I've got. I'm, I'm, I'm a Cowboy fan, but I did like Steve Smith, and he was at a church one time, and people asked Steve Smith, okay, here's this guy that is a Hall of Fame receiver. He's a small guy, but yet he made the NFL. He's got a beautiful wife and kids. He's got all the money that he could ever need. You know, like only 0.03% of people can play in the NFL. So that's like, if we took everybody in this room and we did 0.03%, that's like your arm. That would make it in the NFL. Your arm would make it in the NFL. That's it. None of us will probably make it in the NFL. He makes it in the NFL. He's making money. And they asked him this question. The interview asked him this question. What's something... What's something that, that, uh, that, that's about you that's a struggle that you don't think people would think you struggle with? And he said, I don't feel valuable. I don't feel valuable. Here's a guy that we would look at up the ladder going, man, I wish I could be like him. And yet he's still looking up the ladder going, I don't feel valuable. Not as valuable as this guy or this guy or this person. There's another quote by a famous singer that was a singer of my generation. You may or may not know this person, but this, this person made it to the top, she's still kind of known by one name. Like when you get it to one name, like it's Madonna, it's, I don't know, who's the other one name song groups that we got? Like Kesha or Lady, Lady Gaga is like two names, but it's not even, yeah, I don't really like her either. So Madonna was big. This is what Madonna said. This is what Madonna said. My driving life comes from a fear of being mediocre. That's always pushing me. I push past one spell of it and discover myself as a special human being. But then I feel I'm still mediocre and uninteresting unless I do something else. Because even though I've become somebody, I still have to prove I'm somebody. My struggle has never ended, and I guess it never will. There is this feeling of, if I make it, if I get a good grade, I guess I've got to get another good grade. And then I guess I've got to get another good grade. And if I impress that person, I guess I've got to keep impressing them with how I look or with the game that I play or whatever it might be. There's this never-ending cycle. And what Jesus is going is, listen, that comparison play never brings you joy, and it's exhausting in life. And social media is feeding that because we're constantly looking up the ladder of how many people have other people that have got more followers than me or more likes than me. And there's this pressure. And and I know that the kids today, their depression is at an all-time high. And it's been linked a lot of times to social media. Why? Because we have this constant need to compare ourselves with everybody else. And if we don't feel like we're as much as somebody. And what tends to happen up in the ladder is that we get up. Not only are we looking up, but we're looking down. And we're looking down at people, and we want to make sure they know they're not as great as us. I want, I want to make sure. And have you ever been around people that it's like it's always about one-upping? It's always about when you come in, you're like, man, I had a great spring break. Man, well, where'd you go? We went to Galveston. Whoa. 
That must have stunk. I went to Cabo, man, Mexico. It was awesome. Oh, and I scored 14 points in the game. Oh, really? I had like 24 points in the game. And, and it's like this never-ending one-upmanship. There's one of my favorite comedians. His name is Brian Regan. And uh, I don't know if you've heard Brian Regan before, but he, ca- he talks about how there's this thing inside all of us that we, when we're comparing ourselves to others, it makes us feel like we've got to be like a, what he calls a me monster. And I want to I break down a little bit about what it looks like to be a me monster. Watch this. I'm actually kind of quiet off stage. A lot of people don't realize that. I was at a dinner party recently. A bunch of people that I don't know. One guy talking plenty for everybody. Me, myself, right? And then I, and then myself, right? Me, me. I couldn't tell this one about I because I was talking about myself, and then me, 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 me. Beware the me monster. Why do people need to top other people? I've never understood it, and I see it all the time. Obviously, people get something out of it. At best, people wait for your lips to stop. Yeah, as soon as... Okay, yeah, you, me! You, me! You see the difference? You see, you see that? Now I do. What is it about the human condition people get something out of that? That's why I have a social fantasy. I wish I was one of the 12 astronauts who have been on our moon. They must love knowing they can beat anybody's story whenever they want. They can sit back quietly at a dinner party while some other person, some me monster, is doing his thing and let him go. Let him run with the line while you be quiet. Let him have his moment. Yeah, I'm a big traveler. I have my business all. I got my own global enterprise. I got to check on, you know, driving in the Autobahn because I keep a fleet of sports cars over in Zurich and I get a Swiss account that I want to check on. Mount Kilimanjaro expedition, might have to cancel that. You know, runways in Aspen are a lot shorter the first time you go in there. You know, you know the Pacific Rim Company is going to try to take that over. Global enterprise. I walked on the moon. (laughs) Well, you have the floor, moonwalker. (laughs) You know, you mentioned driving on the Autobahn. That reminded me. Once I was driving in the sea of tranquility. (laughs) In my lunar rover. And I, too, was worried about our speed till I remembered, why? we're the only ones on the moon. <laughs> I'm actually kind of quiet off stage. A lot of people right, don't realize good. that. I was at a dinner party recently. A bunch of people that I don't know. There we go. When you're living on the ladder and you're constantly looking up and you're constantly looking down, what Jesus is going, that, that lifestyle never leads anywhere. Because not only, not only do you feel like you've got to, got to compete with the people above you, but what happens is if you're constantly down here and you're always looking up, because there's this other feeling that, man, I'm, I'm never going to be good enough. I, I'm never going to have what it takes. And I know, I, know, I know for me, I had somebody in my life when I was in high school. His name was Eric Schwartz. I don't like Eric. Everybody say boo. Yeah, Eric Eric, Eric was like, and, it, and some of you have somebody that's like this in your life. Eric was the guy that he was like me, but a better version of me. He was like Brian 2.0. And I remember when I got, I got a car for my, when I was 16, I got this sweet ride. I don't have a picture of it. It was, it was a Honda Accord LX hatchback, 1986. It was, it was awesome. I think I got a picture somewhere in there if you pull it up. But yeah, and um, yeah, it was, it was, it, two words, two words, chick magnet, okay? It was a chick magnet, I know. And I was a chick magnet. I think I got a picture of me in high school um, back when I was driving that. I was the guy on the right. That was me. Okay, so you can, you can imagine, you can imagine what it was like to be me in high school, okay? That was me in high school. But Eric, I remember Eric, um, no, that's not the guy on the right. Go ahead and back to the Honda Accord, um, I remember Eric, I remember the day that I got that car, and I was so happy about it. It had a sunroof, but it had a sunroof that actually had to manually lift out. I, you guys probably never even seen those before. But you had to pull off two, three clips, pull it out, put it in the back of the trunk, 
put it in the back, put it in this like big sleeve. And then if it started raining, it was real easy. All you had to do is pull over on the interstate and then hop out and then take it out of the sleeve and then put the three clips. I mean, it was super easy. Um, And so I remember getting it and hey, listen, it was a car. It was a ride. It had a CD player in it, which was big at that time. Um, it was, it was awesome. And I, and I thought I was the king of the world until Eric pulled up in his slightly newer Toyota Celica GT automatic sunroof with everything else. It was a far faster car than me. Eric was the guy that when I had a crush on Heather Hughes, this, uh, ice skating gal in high school that I took her, finally got the nerve up to take her to a dance and I took her to the dance and Eric took her home. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. That's the kind of guy Eric was. And there's this feeling in high school, and there's feeling actually not just in high school, but throughout your life that you're going to feel like there's always somebody just a little bit better. And there's this feeling that, well, if I can't impress impressive people, then I get paralyzed by the fact that I just don't think that I'm impressive at all. And some of us feel that in here. Some of us feel that sense of, I just don't think I'll ever get noticed. I just don't think I'll ever be used. I just don't think, and when you're on the ladder, whether you're up here or down here, and you're always looking down or you're always looking up, you're either exhausted or you're paralyzed. And when Jesus is going, listen, I want you to follow me, you can't follow him if you're constantly worrying about impressing impressive people or worrying that you're not impressive enough. And what Jesus wants to remind us of is that, listen, it's not about us anyway. It's not about our smallness or our greatness. It's about his greatness. It's about the fact that he can overcome any insecurity that we feel. I like C.S. Lewis. He said this about humility. Uh, Humility is not thinking less of yourself. It's thinking of yourself less. It's not thinking less of yourself. It's thinking of yourself less. Less. And what that means is, is that I know for me, I spend way too much real estate up here thinking about who I am or who I'm not. About that I'm not good enough, or that I should be better, or that I wish I was this, or that I wish. And, and what Jesus is going is, he's just like, listen, if you're going to follow me, you've got to quit comparing. In order to do that, I've got to have people around me who remind me who God is, that he's far greater than, than any of the insecurity that I feel. And they remind me of who I am, that I am gifted, that I do have something to contribute. But I like what Jesus said in the passage. He said, if anyone would be first, he must be last of all and a servant of all. And he he puts these orphan kids up on his lap and he says this, and he took a child and he put him in the midst of them and taking them in his arms, he said to them, whoever receives one such child in my name receives me. Now these kids were kids that did not have parents. They had no value in the day. They were at the bottom rung of the ladder and Jesus picks them up and says, if you serve this person, you're the best of all. In other words, this person gives you no value. They're not gonna give you any street cred. If they see you hanging out with these little kids, they will look down at you and what Jesus is going, no, that's, that's to serve me, to follow me, is to look after those that nobody else thinks of. It's that, it's that kid in your school that everyone picks on. It's that, it's that friend that, or actually it's a guy that doesn't have any friends. It's that, it's that person that is disabled. It's that one that nobody looks at with any regard. Jesus is going, follow me and serve them. Katie said this about uh, her life when she was thinking about um, this whole idea of service, which I like. Do we have a quote from her, I think, coming up? I have learned, oh, there it goes. I have learned that I will not change the world. Jesus will do that. I can, however, change the world for one person. I can change the world for 14 little girls and for 400 school children, for a sick and dying grandmother, and for a malnourished, neglected, abused five-year-old. And if one person sees the love of Christ in me, it's worth every minute. In fact, it's worth spending my life for. She's getting it. If she lived her life by going up the ladder, she would never have ended up in Uganda. And the sad thing is if she lived her life going up this ladder, constantly trying to measure up to somebody up here or looking down on those below her or feeling like she was less than because she didn't have what was up up above her, she wouldn't experience the joy that she has now. And some of us spend so much time thinking about ourselves that we miss out on the joy that Christ has for us because he's saying quit. Quit thinking you're in charge and quit comparing and follow me and I will bring you life. See, these, instead of seeking to impress impressive people, I would say to seek to improve the life of someone who's not impressive. Seek to improve the life of someone who's not impressive. What will happen is you'll find joy. You'll find peace. 
When Jesus says, follow me, he calls me to quit. He calls me to quit what? What's the first thing? Quit thinking. I'm in charge. And quit what? Comparing. Comparing. And lastly, quit chasing what we think will satisfy us more than God. Quit chasing those things that we think will satisfy us more than God. I'll finish with this. In Matthew 19, a lawyer comes up to Jesus and asks him, hey, what, what could I do to have eternal life? What, and that idea of eternal life is full life, not just life in, in the future, but life even now. How can I have a great life here and in the future? And Jesus said to him, why do you ask me what is good? There's only one who is good. If you would enter life, keep the commandments. And he said to them, the lawyer said, well, which commandments? There's a lot of them. At the time, there's about 600 of them that they were supposed to follow. And Jesus said, you shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness. Honor your father and mother, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. The young man said, hey, I've done all those. I haven't killed anybody, I haven't slept with anybody, and I love my mom and dad. So I'm doing all right. And I'm going to guess that that's pretty much everybody in this room. I'm hoping. I don't know if there's any murderers in here, but I'm guessing there's not. If not, I need to leave now. But... So, so you probably would clear the same. You probably go, hey, I'm, I'm doing pretty well. And then Jesus said this, if you would be perfect, go and sell what you possess and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven and come follow me. There's that line again, come follow me. When the young man heard that he went away sorrowful, for he had great uh, possessions. Now, is Jesus going that everybody who follows me has got to give up all the money that I've got in my piggy bank and that I've got to give it away and follow him? That's not what Jesus is saying. What Jesus is saying is that he knew it wasn't about his good behavior that was keeping him from God. What was keeping him from God is that he loves something a little bit more than God. He loves something a little bit more than God. And that's what's going to probably get you or me in this life. That's going to keep us from Jesus. It's not because I don't think, I think you guys will probably know what's good, what's right, what's wrong. You'll follow it. You'll probably come to church a lot. You'll read your Bible. You'll look all good on the inside, but in, on the outside, but inside, if your heart's craving and chasing after something else that you believe will satisfy you more than Jesus, it'll start inching you away from Jesus slowly over time. The same, the guy that wrote The Lion, Witch, and the Wardrobe, anybody ever read Lion, Witch, and the Wardrobe, saw that movie maybe? I liked his quote about this, this whole idea. Because what's going to be most tempting, keep going, one more, there's, there's one more quote, there it is. And he's talking, he's, he's writing this, and if you've ever this, read the Screwtape Letters, it's a great, another great little book, but it's about this demon that wants to um, take out this human. And the head demon is writing to him about, hey, let me tell you what really will draw people away from the Jesus they say they follow. Says, and he, he, he says this, you will say that these are very small sins, and doubtless, like all young tempters, you are anxious to be able to report spectacular wickedness. What he was saying is, the, the young demon was going, I want to tempt them to, to sleep around. I want to tempt them to murder someone. I want to tempt them with the big sins, right? And he's going, no, that's, that's not it. But do remember, the only thing that matters is the extent to which you separate the man from the enemy. Murder is no better than cards, if cards can do the trick. Indeed, the safest road to hell is the gradual one, the gentle slope, soft underfoot, without sudden turnings, without milestones, without signposts. That what he's saying is there, the only way, to, the way to get Christians off course is just to get them, love them, get them loving something a little bit more than Jesus, whatever that might be. And I don't know what that's going to be in your life. I don't know if that's going to be social media. I don't know if that's going to be good grades. I don't know if that's going to be the best behavior in the world. It could be your righteousness that keeps you from Christ if you feel like that proves yourself to somebody else. That makes you look better in the world than just simply loving Jesus. I don't know what that's going to be for you. I know for me, it was a lot of different things growing up and still is today. These little things that I just love a little bit more uh, than Jesus and we're tempted to chase those things. Um, I don't know if you guys, I, I, like, um, I like Psalm 145, uh, 16, and Psalm 34, 8, where it says this. The psalmist says, O taste and see that the Lord is good. You open your hand, you satisfy the desire of every living thing. There are so many cool things out there in the world. There's so many fun things to spend your time on, to spend your energy on, to spend all your money on. Because, see, I can tell what you value by what you sign up for, what you cheer for, what you pay for. And if you're constantly signing up for everything and, and paying for and cheering for everything but Jesus, it doesn't matter how much you come to church on Sunday. It doesn't matter how much you show up 
to the youth things. If inside you're just doing that to kind of check the box and show that your good behavior counts for something, you're really inching yourself away from Christ. What the psalmist is going is he's going after saying, listen, I want you to taste and believe that God is good, that God is the most satisfying thing. Because what's going to tempt you in this world isn't so much the big sins. It's going to be the small things. It's going to inch you away from Christ. It could, be so, it could be the big sins. It could be those things that you know you shouldn't look at. It could be a lot of different things, but it's going to be the shiny things of this world that we are tempted to chase and believe that they satisfy us, whether it's money, whether it's accomplishments. I know for me, it was applause, it was accomplishments, it was accolades. So I, I tried to get the good grades. I tried to show that I was uh, doing really good in church, and all of those made me feel satisfied, but deep down, it was only for a second. And all the while, I really wasn't falling in love with Christ. I had a, I had a dog um, not too long ago, a Jack Russell. Anybody ever seen a Jack Russell Terrier? They're small dogs. They're kind of a big dog trapped in a small dog's body. They have all this energy. They are wound up. And uh, they are on, they're like, they're ADHD, ADD, and all these other letters all balled into one little animal. And I remember Jen, my wife, whenever I would come home from work, she would be like, hey, you need to exercise your dog. Do something with the dog. And I was too exhausted to do anything with the dog. And one day I just went out in the backyard and I was watching him run around and, and he was just kind of doing nothing. And I started, have you ever seen those little soap bubbles? You know those little bubbles that you blow? And I started blowing those bubbles and Echo, that was his name, Echo started jumping up and biting these little soap bubbles. And and I started blowing some more, and he he bite down on another one, and then another, and I could tell that he would get visibly angry if the bubble hit the ground, like he would get mad. He would like just he'd growl at the bubble. The bubble hit, so I start blowing more, and he's just bounce, he's like a jack of the box, up and down, hum 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 hum, biting down on these bubbles. Everyone and, and they're these little shiny bubbles that are going out. And he just keeps, I'm having a great time. And in five minutes, he's exhausted. And this is great. I haven't moved a muscle. And he is dog tired. That's where that phrase came from, was from Echo biting down on soap bubbles. Not only that, but I noticed that he really thought there was something in the bubble. That's why he's biting them, is he thinks there's something in there. But when he, have you ever tasted a soap bubble? How good do they taste? They taste great, don't they? They taste like soap. And so that's why whenever we were done with this five-minute incredible CrossFit workout for Echo, he runs back in the house, drinks a gallon of water because it didn't taste good. But inside, in his little brain, he's biting down on these things going, this is going to taste so good. This is going to taste, oh, this one's going to taste good. Or this one's going to taste good. Or this. The enemy, the devil is out there, and he's blowing bubbles in front of us every day. Things that are tempting us. They're shiny. They look good. Maybe it's those thoughts of, man, I, I just I need to get more likes on this, or I need to impress this person, or I need to go out. If I could just go out with that person, or if I could just look at those pictures. These shiny bubbles come in front of us every day. If I, should, I, I just want to watch that show. I know there's stuff in it that I shouldn't I just want to watch. It's on Netflix. I'm going to binge it. I know my parents wouldn't want it. I know Jesus probably wouldn't want me to watch this, but I'm just going to go ahead and watch it. And there's things that satisfy us for a second, but at the end of it, there's something inside of us that dies. Now, I don't know what shiny bubbles you're tempted with. I don't know what comes across your screen every day that you go, I know I shouldn't, but I'm going to go ahead and bite. And I would just ask you what Jesus would ask you is just quit. It doesn't satisfy you. And it's not going to lead you to long-term joy. It's not going to lead you to that eternal life here and in a life to come. And so if we're going to follow Jesus, that there's going to be times where we need to have the internal fortitude to go, that's not going to satisfy. I know I've been biting down on it. I know I've been doing it a lot. I know I've been, whether it's drinking, whether it's drugs, whether it's money, whether it's accomplishments, whatever it might be, power, any of those things. You go, man, I, that looks so good. And it'll help me get up this ladder, but it's not going to satisfy you. So I, I, just, I would just encourage us tonight as we think about this and as you guys get into your small groups, you're going to be asked those questions. Like, what, what bubbles do you chase that you know you shouldn't? 
And I know for me, the only way that I'm going to stop, and I'll talk about this tomorrow morning a little bit, is that I've got to have people around me that kind of hold me back and go, don't, you don't want to bite down on that. You know where that leads. You know where that goes. If you're going to be a follower of Christ, he's going to call you to be a quitter. He's going to call you to be a quitter. He's going to call you to quit believing that what? We are in charge. I'm glad that you got it, sir. Good job. You're a cowboy fan. Perfect job. He's going to call you to quit believing that you are in charge. He's going to quit calling us to compare ourselves to one another. He's going to quit calling us to chase stuff that really, that really isn't going to satisfy. Let me pray for us. Dear Father, I thank you so much for who you are. I thank you for your grace. I thank you for your gospel. I thank you for Jesus, Lord, that you, you ask us to, to follow you, not because, um, not because, not because you're, you're asking us just to be little robots, but because you're calling us into life, into joy, that you have, you have said, I've come to give you life and life more abundantly, and the enemy is out there to steal, kill, and destroy, and he's doing a really good job of it. Because for a lot of us, we're, we're going down that path even though we know it's not going to satisfy us and we keep chasing stuff. Lord, I, I don't know where folks are in this room. I don't know where these, these young men and women are, what they're struggling with, what they're dealing with, but I know that they all look good from a distance. And they nod their heads and they seem to get it, but I, I'm going to guess that something inside, I'm hoping that the Spirit has pricked something in their heart to go, uh, this is what you need to quit if you're going to follow me. And I pray they don't have the courage to do it. Who knows where it might take them? It might take them across the country, across the world. It might take them across the cafeteria or across the street to talk to their friends about you. But whatever that voice is that's in their heart, give them a spirit of courage to move. To move and to follow right behind you. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Would you guys give it up for him?